even within the same culture, even in the same household, our cultural experience, our daily experience is not monolith. I am paraphrasing from a very insightful message that was shared with us by my brother, Paul Ihaji Mudoki. May 21st, 2020 is World Day for Cultural Diversity for Dialogue and Development. In observance of this day, I hosted a panel of four guests, two intercultural, interreligious, interracial couples who sat down with me and talked self-development, diversity, inclusion, our personal relationships to our communities, a little bit of grief, and a little bit of widowhood. It was an incredible pleasure to host Carla Montesinos from Mexico, her boyfriend, Julian Sador, born in the U.S., from Russian descent, culturally Jewish, Japanese, and African-American, as well as Alex Vieru from Moldova and his wife, Randy Vieru. My sister, Randy, and I are born in Libreville, Gabon, a small country in Central Africa. In this fourth episode, called A Marathon, which is the sentence close of episode three, Sugar, spice, and a marathon. That's the essence of being part of a multicultural world or being part of a multicultural relationship. There's the sugar, the great things we love to learn about one another, the spice, the challenging aspects of one another's personalities, but furthermore, the culture that we were brought in and the way we view the world. A marathon. What we address today, it's not just the flick of a switch. We're people of different worlds, of different cultures, coming together and vowing to love one another. Like I've said previously, it takes a great amount of compassion and a great amount of self-reflection. We get to learn stigmas from each other's culture, but more so how we are individually affected by them. Beyond what we know, there is the experience that our loved ones have, and that matters. Beyond our beliefs, there is what our loved ones get to experience daily, and we want to know that in order to grow together. Today, my guests tell us about their very first conversations about stigmas in their relationship from the experience of their own culture. Additionally, we get a little hairy and start a conversation on grief. We talk about death and how it's viewed in our cultures, and more specifically about widowhood. I get a chance to invite people into widowhood in my culture and my expectations of what this journey was going to be like for me in my interracial, intercultural marriage. Listen closely for a sample of what it sounds like to be at the Gabonese funeral in the Punu ethnic group. Current events clearly show that this conversation is a very sensitive conversation. Please pay closest attention to the following opening words. So before we get started, turn up your volume for the reading of the warning label. Warning! Subscribing to this podcast can expose you to segments and conversations about love, loss, physical and emotional abuse, mental health, and resilience. This podcast contains raw and unfiltered thoughts and feelings from a domestic violence surviving widow. The side effects may be unexpected anger, inspiration, self-esteem boost, and laughter so strong you may pee your pants. An open mind and a change of undergarments are suggested, but not required. And if you need to, please consult a therapist before listening. 
Thanks for joining. I want to say something about it. I don't know what stigmas are. I mean, so we had this moment. We we were laying down in the bed. I don't know, playing, talking, and I was trying to be cute. Like I don't know, maybe she said something, Wendy. Maybe she made a face or something. I muted her. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So she did something, and I was trying to be cute, and I go, I say, "Oh, you're my little monkey." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god we had a long conversation out of that chill time <laughs> that we were having it turned into like this long hours lessons about like why i cannot say that and i had to learn about a retail company who got in real troubles back in the days i don't know if you guys know the story but so I had to learn all of that through Randy, and I just want to say that now we have two off-limit words. We have the N-word, and we have the M-word. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I was just saying it because, you know, for me, this word, the, like the monkey word, has only one meaning, and then, like, I, I do not attribute anything to it. And I was listening before... Um, Julian was saying about um, his grandparents and then, um, you, you know, using the N-word and they didn't mean it in a bad way. It was exactly the same for me when I came to to the United States because for us, it's just a color. Like, that's how you say black in my language. And, like, there's no other sense to it. So we had to have conversations about that with Randy as well. She had to like explain me the whole thing, and believe me, she knew how to do it because she was she was at the time she was going to a, a historical black school. So we had long conversations about it. Yeah, Randy was going to UMES at the time, and uh, Randy isn't here to tell her part of that experience. But I think that it has it has given us a completely different Randy. Because the Randy that I knew before going to a HBCU and the Randy that got to be immersed in and learn Black culture from the best and just African-American culture from the best and really like she just had more insight on what African-Americans really pride themselves on. Like when Alex says like she was the best person for that conversation, she really was because even as a Black African, I've said a lot of things that were very insensitive around Black Americans without realizing and just thinking, I'm just a Black person talking, but it's just a completely different experience. And Randy would scold me on saying certain things and she would, she would explain to me why that's offensive because I clearly, I, I didn't know. I didn't know it was being offensive. Um, I feel like as African-Americans, there's like, you expect other people to know what is offensive in this country. Um, and it's something that you often don't realize. Um, uh, people who are not from here don't understand. There's just certain things you don't say, certain cultural things that um, are just kind of givens that people know that you don't say to black people. One thing that was very different for us that I didn't even realize, and it kind of goes to what Alexi was saying. Um, Are you going to talk about the Loteria game? I'm going to talk about yeah. the Loteria game. So, so there's a game, it's called Loteria, and there's a card. Um, and there's a card that says, it's, uh, what is it? Uh, El Negrito. El Negrito. And it's a black dude. It's a black dude. We're playing this game. It's the first time we're playing it. it was, uh, we're down in Ocean City. 
and they're playing the game, and I'm like, what the fuck is this card? Like, does, does nobody else see that this is so wrong? It's El Negrito, and it looks like, like a pimp with a cane. It's like this jazzy-looking black dude with a cane. I'm like, this is so racist. I don't, I don't feel comfortable with this card. And the card's like, oh, no, no, no. It's like El Negrito. It's for the Lotharia. Like, it's, it's like, it's like a thing. Like, nobody thinks about it. Spanish kids play this all the time. I'm like, this is okay? And she's like, it means something different. It just means, like, you're darker skin. And, like, for me, even Negro is just like, don't, don't call me that. But it's something so common. So it's just like this thing where, just like you said, it has no meaning in her culture, no negative offense. But here, it's like, how does that not offend you? And I have to realize, like, that's not something they grew up with. It doesn't offend them because it doesn't have that meaning yeah. in their culture. But, like, even in Spanish culture, like, you'll hear it in songs. You'll hear people go, like, oh, es negrita, da, 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 da. And it's, like, it's normal. It's, it's, it's not offensive. But Julian did not like Loteria very much. <laughs> Till this day, he will not play again. Like, I, we I, have not played again since that day. I'm, I'm okay to play. It's just, like, I get it. There's a twinge when I see the card. It's, like, Ugh. <laughs> it's a visceral, like, ugh. <laughs> so two things we're filing today. My little monkey. <laughs> and the negrito <laughs> we're filing this <laughs> i know right but that's the thing it's like you don't even know it's offensive you don't know you don't know that what you're saying or like that i didn't know that was going to trigger julian i didn't know that at all to me it was like i played this game as a child every mexican plays this game like if you're mexican and you haven't played loteria like are you really mexican yeah julian was not having it What's your my children will probably not play Loteria. <laughs> like, I have to take that away from my children. We're just going to take that card out. We're just going to find a different card for it. <laughs> we'll just, yeah, just tape something different on it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Tape a different name. What, uh, what about, what stigmas, what stigmas, Carla, would you want to point out? The stigma surrounding my culture? Yeah. Um, it's hard to, I don't know. I can't think of one right now. I personally, can I tell you what I hate? Probably don't think about that one, but like, I really don't like when everybody else is just classified under Mexican. Everyone is just like, I think she's Mexican. And I'm like, well, did you ask her? Because I think she might be Bolivian. I don't know. But that's just I think you bring up a good point. I think, you know, with like the Spanish community, it's like this fight to be the best Spanish or it's like, oh, you're Salvadorian, but like, you're not Mexican. You're not as good as Mexicans. You know, it's like, why can't we just all get along? Like, why do we have to be better than each other? And I think that's challenging that you're always trying to figure out like what your culture does better than another culture. Yeah. By the, by the way, Randy, we heard about um, Alexi calling you his little monkey. We heard that's your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Did y'all explain to him? <laughs> I feel like you had that handled. <laughs> what did he say? Story. I really want to hear this one. Uh, it sounds like it sounds like you took him into the history of that word and the meaning of it in um, <laughs> and the history at of this point in this country. I feel like I need a degree because of the amount of teachings that I've done for our people. <laughs> oh my god! Oh man! Please. He was like, I learned that you don't say the N word and the M word. <laughs> that, that was another lesson Tiana gave up halfway and I was like I got this I got this I'm gonna deal with it for the rest of my life it should be my responsibility 
we <laughs> I told them about how um, you going to a HBCU has really changed your approach to African American culture and how you advocate for them. Um, and that's what I wanted because growing up, like Africans are like taught to be like looking down on African Americans when it really shouldn't be. And so I wanted to mm. learn more about the history and I'm glad that I did. I'm glad you did too, because I think through you, there were eight kids and I'm number five through you, number five to eight has learned so, so much. Even recently with our baby sister, there was another conversation about um, the beauty of an HBCU. And Randy was so good about breaking it down and, and going back to, you made a statement, but where in your heart does that statement come from? And like, now let me explain why that statement was offensive to the community you're referring to. And it's just so beautiful. Like when Randy does it, it's like, I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, you sound like you graduated from an HBCU. She went to two HBCUs, actually, UMES and uh, Bowie State. Um, but it's really cool. It even changed your taste in music. We didn't, have, we didn't have a lot of knowledge in, I only knew French rap, and in French rap, there was no twerking. So um, if there was, we would have started Twerk Tuesday a very long time ago. <laughs> so Randy really brought a lot of music to my life. Um, because I'm still stuck into French R&B, French singers, like, that's still my playlist. So, we're gonna get a little hairy here. Are you excited? Sure. You don't sound <laughs> very excited. Uh, who wants to get hairy? Like, who, he knows, who, like, yeah, he knows. hairy. We, because we about to talk about death, baby. Oh, oh my oh. favorite. And Wendy and I had a whole conversation about how young couples do not like to tackle the conversation of death. But I just want to say that something that I've learned is like talking about death is not a death wish. It's, it's a part of life that sometimes we choose to ignore, but it's there and it happens and we've all experienced it. And I wonder what that experience is like from not only our own life experience, but the cultures that we grew up in. So I wonder how in each of your cultures and each of your religions, the conversation about death and grief goes. Is this something that's an open thing? Or is it, is it kind of taboo in your religion and open in your family? Or like, what's, what's grief, what's death? So I don't know how in a multicultural family, death and grief, I don't know how that conversation goes. Um, my parents grieve differently. Um, it's, it's a thing where my mom is very closed off about it. Um, and my dad is very open. Um, in the Jewish religion, you, you sit Shiva, um, you know, you come together. There's a period of mourning, um, when somebody passes. And unfortunately, um, because of just, I guess, my parents' age, I've had the fortune or misfortune of seeing how they grieve through the loss of parents. Um, mm -hmm. And so my dad, uh, you know, there's a yard seat candle that you light on the day that somebody passes uh, every year to remember them. Um, but my dad is very open about um, grieving and talking about how he misses people. Um, it's not often, it, it's often that when somebody does something good, he'll say like, you know, your aunt Danielle would be very proud or your grandpa's looking down on you. Um, and you're expected to share your emotions about grieving. Whereas my mom, it took me a long time to even ha get her to open up about what growing up with her mom was like because she doesn't talk about it a lot. 
doesn't talk about my grandpa a lot. Um, and that comes from, I think, uh, maybe it's a cultural thing. Maybe it's just her of, you know, you keep your emotions very close to your chest. Um, and, you know, I think I've only seen my mom cry twice in my life. And I'm 28. Um, and I don't even remember, I don't even vividly remember her seeing her cry when her mom passed. I know she did, but she didn't show it. Um, and so it's, it's, yeah, it's very confusing. I don't even know that I've, I've maybe heard her say she misses her mom once. Um, and I think it was only because I said that, I, you know, I miss grandma. Yeah. Um, and it's very, I don't know, it's, I didn't even think about it until you brought it up, but they grieve so differently. It's also very interesting that my mom doesn't very care very much about when she passes, what she wants us to do. She's fine being cremated and, and just, that's it. Whereas my dad, there's a lot more thought that goes into it. For my mom, it's, it's just not something discussed. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. In the same house, you have two people who, because like grief sometimes it just happens to one person. I think that in, I can only imagine and I feel for them in a situation where they're both grieving the same situation, just think just incredibly differently. It's so, mm -hmm. yeah, it's so different. And Mrs. Vieru. Um, for us, from what I remember, because it's, it's been a while since I've been in the, in the circle of grief in the house. But from what I remember, it's, if someone passes away, and that was a conversation that Alex and I had yesterday that like, but why does it have to be about the person surviving? Like it has to be about the person that passed away. And um, I was explaining to him that, yeah, well, you can't really do much about the person that's passed away other than remember them, but then you still have the people who live with them uh, or her who live with them um, and taking care of those people. And so like in our culture, you have the death and then you have the mourning. And for that part, you have the mourning with the family and everything that can last from three days to a week or a month. But then you have a whole year through that period where if it's a widow, the family has to bring food for them, has to make sure that um, they're okay physically, mentally, the kids are okay. Um, and for a whole year, especially for women, they have to be taken care of because they're not physically expected not so much as allowed but like not so much expected to be caring for anybody else but themselves and just trying to get back to trying to get to their new normal and understanding that and so for a year a full year from the day that the the spouse passes or the child or something um they have to mourn like they're expected to mourn and then on the first anniversary is when they remove the the morning as they call it and that's what I grew up with like oh this person passed away like if you're close enough then you know that you're going to be seeing a lot of that family member because you're going to go and take care of them and bring them food and make them laugh and take like make sure that they're okay um but other than that like I haven't really experienced other mourning or grief 
and that's the time where you talk about it like you you don't really there's not much talking about the person themselves it's mostly taking care of the people that are left afterwards from my experience carla Ladwin. um in the mexican culture i think it's we embrace death and we understand death and i think our role is to remember the ones we loved so i don't know if anyone's seen coco but it's true we really do all of that for our loved ones so my mom after my dad passed away she puts out an ofrenda and this happens during halloween and it's basically an offering to your dead ones and you put out all of their favorite things. So my mom will cook his favorite food and have out any treats that he liked and his picture. And the picture is supposed to help him cross over. Basically like his spirit comes visit, um, he comes and he visits you during Halloween. And um, it's just like a checkup on the family. And then she does it every single year. Same time, she'll always cook the same meals. And I mean, that's her way of remembering her dad because she feels like she has to connect with him. So she does that all the time. And you do that for any of your family members that passed away, you will always remember them. That's so good. I probably didn't get to experience it through my family. We haven't lost anyone, probably probably my grandparents, but I was too ill to, to understand it. And at least my understanding is I don't wanna I don't want to say it out of, you know, I don't want to say it for the for the entire Moldovan nation or community or culture that it, it is like that. But in my opinion, in our culture, is more about the person who passed away. So if it's the celebration, uh, you know, during the burial is the celebration of the life and that's what we're talking about. And then probably the closest uh, people would get condolences and that's about it so we don't talk that much about grief so uh, probably those are private conversation held somewhere else that i have never been part of um, other than that i guess is the same as every everybody everywhere else you know like in the christian communities probably would have been easier if i heard you guys maybe you'd have given me some ideas but we love your answer because it's still very genuine and it's still that's just what it is it's just not a conversation grief is not a conversation because people just don't talk about it um with randy she also said that she wasn't exposed to it too much but she talked about the family's obligation there's a tax on the family when it comes to grief where the only grief that matters is the person who directly lost somebody and it is your job to take care of them, make sure they're okay, make sure their kids are functioning and things like that. Um, and in Carla's family, grief is really just showing, reminding, reminding yourself how much you love the dead and, re and having a specific day and a specific ritual to, um, to like keep, keep their, I guess, their energy in your life and remi you know, remember the great things about them. Um, um, and in, in Julian's home, it's two different types of things. It's where it's personal, it's mine, and we don't talk about it, and we don't really offer, you know, like there's just no notes about it. 
Um, grief is super personal, super private. And as I understood, it's on his mom's side. And on his dad's side, it's a big conversation down to what he wants to do when he passes. And it's open and it's available, you know, and he, he can chime in and things like that. And and I think it's really, it's really cool to hear different ways that people do it. Randy was much younger. So when we were when we were so when we were younger, I don't know if she was um aware of certain things. We're from the Punu ethnic group. And in the Punu ethnic group, our women are called the criers. Very much like in the Mexican culture where we're what the what these women what as a woman, if someone has passed, it's your job to sing their glories. It doesn't happen every year, but it happens the day, the first day and every day that we're mourning this dead person. So either from you know, those three days or that week, every day, especially with widows, every time you, so a woman becomes a widow, right away we shave off her head. Then we put her in the, in the very first corner of her house facing the corner and she doesn't feed herself. She gets walked to the bathroom. The men are outside. The men are grilling. The men are getting the beer. The men, all of that. And any younger girl, 17 and younger, you're at service. You're serving these men who are here to support these, this widow and the wives are inside. And what happens is that every time you walk into that room, you're going to have a scream kind of like a, like a starting of a cry and, and you can cry for hours. You, so you, whenever you're a new woman walking into the space to go greet the widow for the first time that day, you have to start crying and singing her husband's praises. And so you walk into that room and you start singing in a crying way. You have to sing for this widow and you don't stop, you don't stop crying until she stops crying. So this widow is not allowed a regular life for the next 365 days until the very first anniversary of her husband's passing. She needs to wear the same. So there's a cloth, right? Every time someone passes, we pick a cloth and that's the cloth of the remembrance. You're, so let's say that the cloth is the same fabric as Julian's shirt right now. Every day, this widow will wear an outfit made of that same fabric for 365 days. If she feels like, you know, adding a little oomph, she can wear all black and that's it. And she's to shave her head every day. You know, her hair can't pass a certain length and she does that forever. If you go to my country now and you meet a widow in my culture and she does not wear weave and she does not, um, she does not keep her hair longer than anything, it's a widow who's choosing not to remarry. If you go slide into my pictures of me being home, you will see me and my aunt, who was the very first widow that I saw closely and watched her be a widow and live her widowhood. Um, and, and she has short hair and she's wearing a black dress. And I wish I could have recorded that conversation because we don't talk about death like that. That's the only prestation we do. We don't sit there and talk about our feelings. But my cousin um, last year also lost her husband, her daughter. and the least the one thing i expected the least is to go home as a girl who knew that we don't talk about death and sitting at breakfast with my widowed aunt and her bringing up the conversation and saying to me as a widow you're doing fucking good she said i'm so impressed 
and I like, I was like, are we talking about our feelings? Are you telling me I'm a cool ass widow? What the fuck is happening right now? We don't do this. It's not part of our culture. And, and being widowed, coming from a culture like this and being widowed in a culture who has no idea what my culture is, who really only saw value in their family member and never really took the time to understand what widowhood would be like for me coming from another culture seeing that I may not understand that was really hard. And I think that when I talk about this, when I thought about this, I'm like, it's a culture shock because I was very angry for a very long time. Randy, myself, and anybody else who went on the behalf of my family were very much guests. I did not know that I would have contact with so many people that day. I shook so many hands and had so many hugs. It was just so much anxiety. And before we went to that, that I had what, two days with mom or three days with my mom, where my mom treated me just like widows in my country are meant to be treated. I was in my corner and there was no crying unless I cried. And because I never cried, my mom never cried. It was just fucking perfect. And then we go to this as a family, as a Gabonese family. And uh, my sister and my nephew's mom is American. And to her, it was just a normal funeral. It was a normal uh, memorial. And to my family, we just felt like guests because we just didn't know how to connect to this American family mourning their son. It was so confusing. And for my dad, cremation. <laughs> it was like, they're like my dad expected to see a coffin. We're expecting to see somebody. We're mourning somebody. And that's what the men's get to do. They get to carry the coffin. They get to be there. They get to show their, they just get to, you know, see the other person. Men get to do that. And my dad just looked at a big, beautiful ceramic jar. And while I thought it was beautiful, my dad didn't didn't understand and he didn't connect that either and i think that something was in his grief he couldn't connect to that if you enjoyed listening to the series be sure to share the link with your family and friends you can find more information about myself and all my four guests at your friendly neighborhood widow on instagram we just ended on a very emotional note join us tomorrow at 9 a.m as myself, Randy, Julian, Alex, and Carla get deeper into the conversation of grief and loss when each couple will tell one another how they believe they would warn each other. Um, I would do it my style because I'm grieving. Like when you think about your person, you never think about how is it going to be when I'm not with them? You'd never think about that. So it's like, I know that's probably not what Carla wants to hear because she would encourage me to t- to talk about my feelings. And I would keep it private as much as possible. In my experience, death and grief are conversations that young couples shy away from. To quote Carla, you never want to think about what it's going to be like to lose your person. I commend their bravery in this next episode and just how transparent they are on how they will choose to do grieving on their own terms. A lot of it sounds in spite of what their cultures expect. There's also a lot of compassion there. It's not just all about them. Join us for our very last episode and the close of this beautiful series, Life Diverse, tomorrow at 9am.
We'll talk later, okay?